Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Welcome to Initiated Survivor, where we share our stories of survival and recovery and the true nature of wisdom and grit. I'm Kelsey Harper. I'm a survivor and a clinical psychologist. Welcome to our community of radical survivors. Here, we discuss topics relevant to survivors, so please be mindful of your needs as some of these topics might be triggering. Hello, all my beautiful survivors. We're getting up to some badassery this year, really because I think the world is not going to allow us to skip the badassery. You know, if any of you have been noticing we are actively living that cliched saying if you're not furious you're not paying attention i just think that it's impossible to exist in this world without really seeing how true that is so it goes without saying as everyone has already said it that it is unprecedented motherfucking times what i wanted to talk today about is looking at roe versus wade uh, abortion access, healthcare access, right to bodily autonomy, right to privacy, and how this affects survivors and what we can do. Because I truly believe that you cannot support survivors without supporting the right to abortion access. And I'll explain more about that. This is an incredibly important issue. This is absolutely an important issue, this election cycle, but it is going to be an important issue for all future election cycles. And I think that part of what has happened and why we're in this place where the Supreme Court rolled back the decision on Roe versus Wade and therefore went ahead and enabled a lot of abortion bans to come to life all over the the nation, ones that were set to do so as soon as Roe v. Wade gets overturned, and it was, right, is that there has been a decades-long anti-choice, anti-civil rights movement that has been building in power, unrelenting in its progress, and really creative and varied in its efforts. And so we can see when there's decades work getting here. And again, it is extremely unusual for an amendment to the Constitution to be overturned, that it's likely going to take decades of work to get back to where we were, and it's going to take even decades more work to get to the place that we ultimately want to be. Because even with Roe v. Wade in the Constitution, there were all these limits, all of these things trying to strip away certain rights, trying to put contingencies upon it. This is something that has been active and engaged in for decades. But we see this anti-civil rights movement having started really picking up momentum as an organization back at around the abolishing of slavery in the United States. You know, not saying that it didn't exist before then, it just wasn't quite as organized. And that when that happened, when slavery was abolished, that's when this movement really came together and started working together as a collective to continue to dismantle civil rights as they continue to grow and to pop up around the country. And we're going to continue to see this movement taking action around that as well. You see this happening, also attacking voting rights, LGBTQ rights, trans rights, women's rights, everybody's rights, except probably the wealthy white cishet men. Their rights are still somewhat intact, but everybody else's rights 
this movement is coming for. Because this movement, the goal ultimately is to dismantle civil rights and keep people under control. Ultimately, the reason why they focus so much on abortion, there's a lot of history specific to this that talks about how the conservative parties were uncertain how to be able to rally voters because the nation has consistently and still consistently tends to move progressively with regards to new voters coming of age. They tend to be more progressive and more progressive and the vast majority of us are actually more progressively minded than there are conservatively minded. And so the conservative parties felt threatened in their positions and needed to have platforms that they could use to be able to continue to rally and empower up voters. And they worked very closely with religious institutions and decided this was one of the fights that they could fight. Actually, religious institutions and conservative politicians had no interest in challenging abortion rights, but they came together on this one because conservative politicians didn't want to lose their roles of power and religious institutions also did not want to become irrelevant in our culture. And one of the things that religious institutions and conservative politics really share is misogyny. Ultimately, we see that abortion rights primarily act upon women's liberation. And when you are actively working against women's liberation, that you do want to continue to have women subjected to the powers that be, then you are going to oppose abortion rights because being able to have access to abortion, being able to be safe in our bodies and to take care of our health as well as to control when and how we have children and when and how children will be in our lives enabled us to be more free to live our lives, to enter the workforce, to be independent, to live the lives that we want to live, to change circumstances, to make choices. But then when we take abortion rights away, women now are forced to try to navigate different systems to be able to achieve that liberation on their own. It's not guaranteed by the government. And we also see that abortion rights serves as a barometer cross-culturally around how women are treated in other cultures and our culture as well. Abortion rights are usually a barometer for being able to explain that and show that to us. So also we should take the overturning of Roe v. Wade as an indicator that women are losing their rights in this nation and that misogyny is starting to take hold a little deeper and that we do need to really push back. So why should we as survivors care about this? Some of this is rather obvious that survivors need abortion access with you know 95% of survivors possessing uteruses and the risk of getting pregnant from a rape or sexual assault and violence. We need abortion care in order to truly be able to feel liberated from that trauma and recover, quite literally because we don't want to continue to live with that trauma, or at least we don't want to have to be forced to do so. There are plenty of people who willingly make that choice that they would like to keep a pregnancy. They are welcome to do that. Being Pro-choice is not being pro-abortion and enforcing that people need to have an abortion. It's actually saying that people need to be liberated to make decisions about their bodies and their reproduction however they choose. That also applies to survivors being able to restore that independence and that liberty to make decisions over their body, especially with how their body is going to be cared for following when that autonomy and that liberty was violated. 
On a personal note, I know for me, after I was raped, I was very afraid that I was going to get pregnant. I live in an area where abortion is guaranteed. I had no worry or concern that I would not be able to access it if I needed. And that was incredibly, incredibly valuable that I did not have to worry about that part in order to continue my recovery. I knew that if necessary, I was going to need to go get care. I knew there were plenty of places where I could get care, where I could get healthy and safe care, respectful care, and care that was going to honor, respect my own dignity and autonomy and would help me with this situation. And I cannot explain how important it was to feel that I could immediately reclaim ownership over what was going to happen to me as a result of being raped. That that was so vital and important to my recovery to feel like I could move forward and make decisions about what was going to happen with my body and my recovery. I also want to point out here, as we talk about survivors need to have abortion access as part of their recovery, as part of their health care, that some of these places that talk about instilling an exception for rape and incest. And I find this particularly scary. And the reason being because the people who are deciding whether or not you get to have an abortion are the same people who are going to decide whether or not they believe you were raped. They're not going to decide whether or not you were raped. They're going to decide whether or not they believe you were raped and whether or not that rape or that incest constitute an exception to this ban against abortion, which they believe is founded in morality, but ultimately founded in control. I 1000% predict that it will always, always, always end up disfavoring the survivor. These are the same people that went ahead and elected Justice Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court who made this decision to roll back abortion rights. I 1000% have zero confidence in their ability to actually assess and understand survivors or to believe them or to support their rights and their recovery. I think that it's actually pretty concerning when somebody says that because what they're setting the precedent for without being clear about it is that now the government gets to start to determine what it means to be a survivor of rape rather than survivors themselves. We do not want the government making that decision for us. We do not want the government declaring what is rape, what is not rape, what is rape that is worthy of care and response and health care and what is rape that is not. We do not want the government deciding it for us. So it's very scary to hear that they are weaving those things together, that abortion bans are woven together with defining what rape is. The other thing that we really need to consider is that ultimately Roe v. Wade was about a right to privacy. That the idea was is that we have the right to keep whatever happens in our healthcare and whatever happens to our bodies and whatever healthcare we're needing as a response to that is private and it's private between us and our doctors. This is incredibly important, especially as a clinical psychologist. I know very intimately how important it is to my clients and for the work that we're doing and the places that my clients have to go to in order to participate effectively in care that's truly transformational for them. It requires confidentiality and privacy. We cannot do this kind of work to recover, to heal, to transform if it's under the premise that we do not get to guarantee privacy. That's what was actually overturned. 
we do not have a federally recognized right to privacy. We have HIPAA, that helps a little bit, but that we see that it is no longer guaranteed by the Constitution. Again, right to privacy restores the sense of dignity and autonomy to people, that what happens in your life, what you choose to do about that is yours to keep private. The government is not entitled to know. And that's what this overturned was saying that actually the government is entitled to know what happens privately. And so that's why you saw all of those different social media posts about deleting period trackers, about how social media was turning over chat records to police for a criminal investigation around seeking abortion and abortion care, because now seeking abortion care is criminal. So they then turn over those records. There is no right to privacy any longer being honored. And that is very, very frightening. And survivors need a right to privacy. We need to be able to go to places where we can be held in confidence to do the work that we need to do to truly recover. We also need to be respected in our autonomy and have our dignity honored as well as part of that process. But the overshadowing thing that we're discussing when we talk about Roe v. Wade and about the overturning of it and the threat that that poses to our world, and especially to survivors, is the right to body autonomy. And what I think most people, if not all people, truly believe is an unalienable right, that we all have this indisputable right to our bodies that I get to decide what happens to my body, that the government does not get to tell me what to do with my body, that nobody gets to tell me what to do with my body. That's actually one of the underpinnings of criminalizing rape and sexual assault and gender-based violence is saying that nobody has the right to do anything non-consensual to somebody else's body. With Roe v. Wade being overturned and just like, quote unquote, given back to the states, ultimately they're saying this right is disputable. If your state wants to dispute whether or not you have a right to body autonomy, they get to do that. Your state can have rights to your body that you do not get to have. Your state can decide what to do with your body as opposed to you getting to decide what to do with your body. This definitely has far reaching effects for survivors who their body autonomy was violated and is threatened by ongoing rape culture, misogyny, and patriarchy and culture. But we see that reproductive rights and ultimately controlling body autonomy is a way of controlling the independence and liberty of women in marginalized communities. If we can impose restrictions or standards for what bodies are supposed to be used for, what's supposed to happen to them, we can restrict the independence and the rights in totality of those people because we are not separate from our bodies. So really looking at this with Roe v. Wade, what we're talking about is that seeing how rape is an institution functioning in our world. Gender-based violence is itself a mechanism of instilling and protecting oppressive power systems, which we have many in our world surrounding us. And it's meant to keep women and marginalized communities controlled right, by traumatizing them and by disrupting their access to daily lives and access to care, by keeping them terrified, keeping us terrified by ongoing threat and traumatize the stigma and the shame that's created by rape culture around this. It ultimately prevents us from rising up and challenging the powers that be. And in a democracy, the idea is that every single person contributes to what is happening 
and what decisions are making that we get to vote on what's going to happen in our world. We get to have a say. We are represented. But if we are dealing with trauma and we're trying to recover and stay safe and we're feeling terrified and scared and we have a tremendous amount of shame, we are unlikely to raise our voice and to make change to things. So a part of rape culture is the premise that women's bodies are not sovereign, that we're not sovereign as beings or as people, but it can be owned and manipulated and violated at the will of men. So rape culture functions on the premise that we do not have body autonomy. And because we know that we live in rape culture, in addition to that premise with the rollback of reproductive rights, women's bodies are again also at the will of men that anyone possessing a uterus is at the will of anyone possessing a penis. And in the sense that our future, our health is going to be determined by what happens to our bodies and what is perpetrated against our bodies and what the government decides around our bodies, as opposed to ourselves being able to make that decision. So you cannot really work to end rape culture or instill rights to body autonomy for any person and also be indifferent to or directly oppose the right to abortion access. Abortion access is body autonomy and abortion access is anti-rape culture. So what do we do about all this? And I think this is the question that we keep coming back to and we're also so overwhelmed with it. There's so many things to do because there are so many motherfucking issues in unprecedented times right now and happen for a while. They just seem to keep building. But the first thing that seems very obvious is we need to vote. We need to vote like our lives depend on it because our lives actually do depend on us voting. Definitely vote in the federal elections. Make sure that you're being mindful of that. Continue to hold this issue in mind and vote like the survivor that you are and out of interests of survivors and at the interests of dismantling rape culture in our world. But also, if anything, I'd actually move our focus more towards state and county and city elections. Local elections give more power to our votes because there are fewer of us. So we get to actually speak more to the issues, but also the changes that we make locally are going to really truly transform our day-to-day -day living because what happens in our city is going to be what we are experiencing day-to-day. So for example, I live in an area where right now there is a race for mayor and it is between a person who, you know, has a progressive platform, who also has a lot of experience with grappling with the issues of my area, and then another person who claims to have a liberal platform, but does not, and is actually actively a rape apologist, rape denier, sweeps rape allegations under the rug, promotes and reinforces rapists, diminishes any kind of restriction of rapists or examining rapists that are in institutions that have a lot of power. And that is also what he is bringing to the table in this election. And so if I kind of disregarded local elections, like most Americans actually do, and just focus on the federal elections, the big ones that get all of the news and the media and get us all riled up and active and ignored that, there's the potential that the person governing the place that I live in, the city around me, making decisions for the citizens around me is a rape apologist. 
So definitely get involved in those local elections. We do not want to elect rape apologists or rapists themselves, despite that they are all over the ballots into these elected seats. We do not want to be giving these people power. We especially do not want to be giving these values and these principles any more power. So get educated on your local elections. There's lots of materials that are out there so you can know and understand what the different issues are. There are also different people that you can connect with that will speak to the different issues and help you understand what's really facing your area. You can also donate and support and volunteer with local organizations and agencies that provide safe and confidential abortion care. Planned Parenthood is often one that comes up quite a bit that people want to connect with and donate to. That's great. Planned Parenthood is a great nationwide international organization, also very widely known and very, very popular and gets millions, if not billions in donations every year and holds a lot of power which while great well we also want to make sure that we're helping the organizations that are not as nationally recognized and are not getting as much attention and as much resources go local and small if you can and connect with the communities around you donate your time donate your attention donate your social media posts start talking to your friends about these organizations donate some money even a little bit helps I've said previously, I posted about it, that I do monthly donations to the Success Stories program. It's a local organization that educates people on feminist abolitionist messaging to dismantle toxic masculinity and patriarchy that reinforces and instills gender-based violence. And they provide that education directly to perpetrators and offenders in order to really change the course of what's happening and help them become contributing members to their community and to their culture from an abolitionist lens. It's fantastic. And I absolutely am thrilled to be able to help support them. We also talk about these things. Don't shy away from it if you feel safe to do so. I know a lot of people think that they don't want to mix politics with personal things. And that oftentimes is a message of people who benefit from us staying quiet about politics. People who don't want us to discuss things, don't want us to mobilize people to vote. They want fewer and fewer people to turn out to vote because they can keep things in the status quo, keep that power funneling upwards. But politics are personal because this is affecting our personal lives. This affects survivors. So talk about it. Share your story that you're comfortable with sharing. If you're able to share with people about how as a survivor abortion access affects you and affects other survivors, this can be incredibly powerful for helping people understand all the different sides to what this truly means. Also push for additional policy and organizations that are adjacent to or supportive of abortion access. So for example, one of the things that is really key and really important is comprehensive medically accurate anti-shaming sexual education in schools. This is incredibly powerful education that will help people feel more educated and informed about their bodies, that helps enhance their ability to understand consent and issues around consent and how we provide consent. It also helps reduce shame around bodies and questions around bodies, allows people to be able to access the care they need and to make decisions about their bodies. True body autonomy comes from knowing about our bodies and being able to act on it. Promote movements that increase education and research for women's healthcare needs. 
Have you ever noticed that women consistently will get UTIs and there just really isn't very adequate care for that, or that women's pain is consistently dismissed and diminished by pain professionals, by medical professionals? You know, that there is high risk births happening in the US at alarming rates simply because our medical field has a misogynistic, sexist basis and also does not prioritize researching women's health care, let alone researching trans health care. So speaking out and supporting these types of movements will also be really powerful. Address sexism everywhere that it happens. Speak out about it. Talk to your friends about it. These individual one-on-one -on -one conversations are actually proven to be so much more effective than great general campaigns. So having one-on-one -on -one conversations about all of these different issues can be powerful. Confronting someone when they tell a sexist joke, when they make a sexist comment, when they seem to also act indifferently towards issues of sexism and misogyny, you know, start to address that, like get curious about it and ask them like, why doesn't that concern you that someone makes this kind of joke? Why doesn't it concern you? that women are consistently saying that street harassment endangers them and it doesn't really concern you that it's not changing. Let's talk about this. Vote for increased representation in the government. Vote for candidates who represent marginalized communities to make sure that there is more equal representation in the government. I think also overarching in any kind of democracies, we need to focus on expanding voting rights. Voting rights are threatened right now in the US. They've always been threatened. The threat is increasing and we're seeing that get very, very dire right now. So focusing on voting rights, voting rights in your area, that includes things like gerrymandering policies, how they're drawing districts, all of that kind of stuff is really important to look at, to research, to understand, or even just to vote for and to talk about. Voting rights are absolutely necessary for a real democracy. Now, before we close up for today, I know I just threw at you a shit ton of things to do. And if you're like me, you're probably really motherfucking tired because I am exhausted. I'm exhausted by our world. I'm exhausted by all the things that we have to do. I'm exhausted by all the fights that keep coming to our doorsteps because people keep picking them. It's exhausting. It's infuriating. And even more so, it's heartbreaking. So closing up on a little bit of a moment of honoring and respecting your heart and as I try to honor and respect mine and acknowledge that burnout is definitely a very real thing when we're trying to change our culture, change our communities. And burnout is a real threat because when we get burnt out, we get apathetic and we get indifferent and we stop moving. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for us to get fatigued they know they just need to outlast us. The important thing is, and some of the really invaluable lessons that we've learned is that if you can pick one thing and engage with it in a sustainable way, something that you can sustain for ongoing periods of time. So it's something that you're able to use extra energy that easily gets replenished. It's a donation that you can afford to make without it causing stress or strain on you consistently. It's a conversation that you feel like you can have with people on an ongoing basis without it altering your day or your mood too much, that you're able to engage in these practices on a sustained, consistent basis. That's going to be super powerful. And then while you choose that one cause, 
and those different steps with that cause, because I chose mine. I have chosen survivors. This is the cause that I'm really speaking to. And as you can see, it leads to all of these other causes as well. But being deliberate in how you're choosing that focus, but also making sure that you're continuing to nurture yourself, offer yourself self-care, offer yourself the space to be sad, to be angry, to get comfort, honor and respect those emotions that are coming up naturally here. Connect also back to your community, whatever your community is. It might be your family, your chosen family. It might be a specific coffee shop, the library. It might be swimming in the ocean. Wherever it is that you feel that sense of belonging is where you are connecting back in. Isolation is the way that we get indifferent, apathetic, and disenfranchised and disempowered. Connecting in to whatever makes us feel connected and a sense of belonging will help us restore our sense of self and restore our sense of power. So take time, lots of time out for yourself. Understand that rest and reconnection and recuperation, refueling, experiencing joy, experiencing fun and delight, and taking breaks from these things are just as effective and just as productive as working directly on these things. We need you. We need you to stay alive. We need you to stay well. And we want you to be alive and well and be thriving here. Thank you so much. And I will be speaking with all of you again very soon. I am a clinical psychologist and love to share these skills and tips to build resilience and recovery. However, this podcast is not a replacement for psychotherapy or mental health care. We have links in our show notes where you can connect with a provider or you can get a referral from your primary doctor if you wish to receive those services. If you are struggling today or wish to speak to someone, know that RAIN is always available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to offer support, guidance, and referrals for help. You can speak to someone right now at RAIN at the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. The Initiated Survivor is a podcast written and hosted by me, Kelsey Harper. It is produced and edited and all-around awesome podcast magic is casted by Sam Valentine. The beautiful music you heard is written and performed by Michael Carpenter Jr. If you wish, please leave us a sweet review so other survivors can find this podcast and get connected as well.